The Recovery Greenhouse is a podcast dedicated to the growth of ideas, concepts, and outlooks that support recovery and recovering communities. I'm Gerald Watt, your host and a person in long-term recovery. I'm also founder and executive director of Salt Valley Voices of Recovery, a recovery community organization serving Northwest Illinois. I'm a certified recovery support specialist, an entrepreneur, a father, uh, and after a long list of careers, I found my calling in helping others find recovery. I work with many, many people every day, several addiction-related boards, um, get to travel around and meet some amazingly interesting people. And you know, my core belief is that people must make an effort to change their lives for recovery. There's a saying, no pain, no gain, and that's exactly correct. A person cannot experience significant life changes without enduring, accepting, often welcoming discomfort. It isn't the change that hurts, it's our resistance to it. And and that couldn't be more apropos for my guest today, um, who I met recently when I was in uh, Washington, D.C. for a SAMHSA uh, re-entry conference. group of probably a hundred people who have some association with or have come out of the criminal justice system, like myself, um, people who have experience and are trying to get their feet back under them and are dealing with substance abuse issues. And um, that that consortium came up with the work plan. Uh, it was led by David Awadala, a great guy out of SAMHSA. And I met some incredible people and one of the most incredible was my guest, Ms. Rosetta Taylor. She is the founder and current executive director of the National Association of Recovery Professionals, uh, affectionately known as NARP. Um, their website is thenarp.org, T-H-E-N-A-R-P.org. So uh, I am just blessed and honored to have a chance to reconnect with you, Rosetta. How are you? I'm well. And one of the things you said in your opening statement, I just want, I have to back up. And that is often people think, oh, I want to change, but it takes effort. Like you said, you got to have skin in the game. So I tell people, people don't change because they've quote unquote, seen the light. They change because they're feeling the heat. I heard that. (laughs) Absolutely. I could. Uh, Okay. Mark that one down as stolen. (laughs) That will be repeated. So, Uh, yeah, I I love uh, what I'm doing. I am working with folks that are in recovery reentry. And um, it kind of came about because I have 40 years in the field. I started working in and out of prisons, jails with adults, juveniles, military personnel. And after 32 years of federal service, uh, working in the Federal Bureau of Prisons, working with the Department of Veterans Affairs, I decided it was time to retire and I was going to go to Antigua and stay there. I remember you saying that. I remember you saying that. Yeah, but God said, (laughs) wait a minute. There's an awful lot of people who are going through an awful lot of pain and sometimes often misunderstood. And I really felt like at this point in my life, I had a voice. So we founded the National Association of Reentry Professionals to be able to give voice to those who don't have a voice, a truly underserved population in our society. Um, a lot of the people tell me, well, people coming out of prisons and jails, using drugs, they don't want to change. I couldn't disagree more. 
The majority of people do want to change. Now, are we willing to do the work or are we willing to keep going through the changes, battling the barriers to be able to have a better life? Eh, maybe and maybe not, but we'll never know if we don't remove some of the barriers and help people walk in a different light. So I'm, I'm taking notes because, you know, I'm going to double back on some of this. Absolutely. Give, so, me, give me the uh, give me the short history of NARP, because I know it started with you running a recovery home. Right. Well, actually, because of my history, which included running a recovery home for these women coming out of prison, it just hit me. You can either stay here and help 10 or 20 people or you can do what you know is best after having a career all over the country and overseas, and that is help people to stop working in silos to help people. And I decided to start a national organization so we could reach the masses. And today our membership services from Alaska to Rhode Island and all points south. Um, awesome. It is awesome. wonderful to see so many people across our country collaborating and communicating on ideas to help people and also helping us remove some of the barriers having more of the workforce open up to people who've had issues. And when I say issues, recovery or mm -hmm. entry, you know, we want people to be more welcome and less stigmatized. As one of my friends says, we want them to have true second chances, not second sentences. So we want so now, to- So now you said you worked in, in prisons and jails for 40 years. And, and, and as I recall, you got, some rank you were you you wasn't you wasn't yeah a, i was a, i left the bureau as unit manager of a drug unit and okay, so, um so you were you saw what was happening in those jails oh, absolutely i also worked uh, part of that was re-entry preparation coordinator and so a lot of people that are staying clean inside of jails are there drugs in prisons and jails of course mm -hmm. but a lot of people are find it easier to stay clean off the street you're not in your typical hood, et cetera, et cetera. So they're using a geographical location to say, okay, I'm done. I'm good. I don't need this anymore. I don't need support. I know what I'm doing. But in reality, Gerald, they're setting themselves up for a major fall because a lot of people are going back to the same neighborhoods, the mm -hmm. same situations. Does that mean they can't change? No. It means they have to face reality and say, okay, I'm ready to go home, but am I prepared? And a bar to being prepared means getting your support system together. Do Even you remember? I can't, I, I want to say his name was Antonio something. The guy that played Huggy Bear. Oh, yeah. Right? There was a, a, a movie. I want to say it was I'm going to get you sucker where he was like a pimp. He had the, the yellow suit, uh -huh. the goldfish. And uh, they he went to prison. And then he came back, and they gave him his old clothes. And he came out. And he was walking down the street, and he's like trying to be the same guy, yes. right? And everything had changed. Everybody was laughing at him. Right? Perfect analogy. You know, it, it's it's you know, oftentimes we come out of prison, and we we try to go right back into that same suit. Exactly. And, exactly. And, and, and let me tell you, a, a lot of family members, yeah, and a lot of family members want them to come back to those same suits because often those suits meant families had more money. Uh -huh. You know what I'm saying? You weren't around as much, so I can kind of do what I want to do. Now you come back, 
and you either have probation or somebody on your trail. So you're not going to be able to be in these streets like you think you would. And if you are, you may go back to jail or prison. And you're not going to be able to be the finance person with all that money that you once were. So it's a double-edged sword. While people are ready, family members ready for people to come home, a lot of times they're not so ready. And I used to tell the guys, what's going on in your cloud as you try to jump back in that same suit and what's going on in their cloud may be two totally different things. And it's almost a setup because uh -huh. life has changed. People yeah. have changed. Circumstances have changed. Nothing's the same. And for a lot of people in prisons and jails, it stops. Time stops right there. When you went in and when you come out, you expect it to be pretty much the same, but it absolutely is not going to be. And, yeah. and, and you've also you've also lost some of your autonomy. You know, I've never been to prison. I, I, I've spent some time in jail. Enough time that I lost those things that made me able to do the things I do. I, I did not wake up to an alarm clock anymore. I woke up when somebody said, get up. I didn't, right. I didn't put myself to bed at a reasonable hour. I went to bed when they said go to bed. That's right. You know, and so now you release me. Where's the guy telling me to get up? That's exactly right. I helped a young lady who had, we accepted her in the program, 38 years of incarceration. And when I asked her what was the scariest part about coming home and her whole recovery process, she said crossing the street. Wow. And in my mind, I'm thinking crossing the street? But when you think about it, you've been locked up for 38 years, walking a yellow line, and now all of a sudden you're free. Yeah, look both ways, fool. That's right. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, huh, I found that to be strange. But that's that just goes to show we have to meet people where they are, not where we feel they should be. Because while that sounds petty to me or to somebody else, it was real for her. Mm -hmm. That was a real situation. Same thing with individuals who come home and they say, I'm not going to use anymore. I'm done. I'm done using. But then when they get home, circumstances are not that easy, especially if you've got it around you, if you've got people oh, welcoming you home with it. You it's, know, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not even that it's not that easy. It's horrible. That's right. That's true. Now that is true. I love it. It's that horrible. You come home. Right. You come home. Mama didn't tell you about that guy that she that's was right. that she that's been there for 10 years. That's or, right. You know, you know, the fact that everybody like they'll stop and they all have a party for that day, and then they go to work. There you go. And let me tell you something about these parties. I talk about the parties all the time. Oh, you coming home. Oh, my dog is coming home. We're yeah. gonna celebrate. We well, gonna the celebration you. is the setup. We're gonna because, bless you. Yeah. Celebration. Here we go. Everything. I'm supposed to not supposed to do is slapping me in the face. And right. even if you go outside to do a little something, something, you still get caught up. It's easy. Yeah. It's too easy to get caught up. And when you say no, a lot of people are offended. So you got to find a fine place between I'm doing this for me to say no. How can I get you to understand that this is for my life? And that's where I think family members and friends really need an education on when you love somebody You've got to love them enough to learn what this means for their new life. Well, you know, I want to I want to 
throw you an anecdote with situation that happened in my family. Um, young man who, who was associated with my family, um, you know, is it is what it is. He, he, he ain't blood, but he's now part of the family. And uh, he went to prison for a couple of years. His mother called me and said, hey, do you mind, you know, keeping in touch with him? And due to some other relationship issues and my job, I was like, I don't want to do it, but I have somebody on my team that will. Guy on my team whose whole deal is writing to and counseling people that are in the system. Mm-hmm. They get to writing letters back and forth, and he's writing a letter a week, right mm-hmm. back and forth. They're, they're writing back and forth, handwritten letters, not email. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, oh, when I get out, I'm going to do this, that. I'm taking this class. I'm going to be clean. I'm living sober. Life is great. So the guy gets out. And he'd been out for about a month and I bumped into him. I said, hey, did you talk to Robert? Oh, no. Well, you know, I'm trying to get my thing going. Well, wait a second. You know, where was, where was, when you was locked up? Yes. And you was writing this man and he was writing back to you. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, I I had a lot of free time now, but now I got to work to get back up on my square. Yes. Oh, so it was. It was convenient for you to write, not yes. for the man outside who had to write back. That's exactly right. Right. Here he is taking his personal time to be there for you, but you're just taking up time serving that you're serving to write to him. And that is unfortunately so common. And a lot of times, so hopefully when people come home initially with what they're thinking, I say they bump the stump. Once they bump the stump, then they'll back up and be like, okay, let me rethink this thing because mm-hmm. it's just like people think, oh, I'm going home. You've been cussing at this girl the whole time you've been incarcerated. Now you going home to her and you right. think that's going to work. Well, then you got a few months and guess what? She is no longer willing to put up with that. So you got to rethink your return. That happens more times than I care to think about. And that Interesting. left. Interestingly, yeah. you remember Chris Rock said a man is only as, as faithful as his options. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's right. Right. The guy in prison ain't got no options but to stay sober and find Jesus. But when and he gets out in them streets. That's right. And I used to tell him, don't y'all know God wants to come out of jails and prisons? Y'all have God all up in the jail, in the prison. You just praising him, thanking him, and asking him for a better life. And you get out and leave him in there. What is right. going on? Right. But with that being said, I challenge our churches to do more in the area of reentry and recovery. Because I'm not saying they have to do everything, be a be all, end all, but don't sit up and look at people like they're crazy when they come into church either. We have a lot of judgment of people and we really need to be more open and forgiving and realize all of us, but for the grace of God, it could be any one of us. And I tell people all the time. 100%. And with that, you know, one of the, my main focuses are the programs. I really hope that we can educate more people about programs that are provided, especially as they relate to reentry. Um, we have a lot of sober living places, a lot of sober living, this, that, and the other. And that's wonderful. I take nothing from that. But for somebody who may not have an addiction issue, we need for them to be able to come out of jails and prisons without saying, oh, yeah, I have a problem, just so they can have some place to live. So we need sober living houses 
and we need houses that are for people that may not have had an addiction issue when they go into prisons and jails. Because if you got somebody who's faking the funk with people who are truly trying to change their lives, that has an impact on a whole program. We don't need that, as well as an impact on a whole person who absolutely should come out telling the truth, not trying to fake the funk, and just to have someplace to lay their heads. So residential facilities are so needed, so, so needed. And I hope that we continue to grow them both with recovery and reentry. Because I tell people reentry re is kind of like the mobile over the baby's bed. When one of the parts move, all the parts move. If they've got substance abuse problems, mental health problems, uh, employment issues, family issues, they're all a part of that coming back to the community and dealing so, with situations. So so first of all, my guest is Rosetta Taylor, uh, founder and CEO of, of National Association of Reentry Professionals. I like your mobile idea, but I want to ask, is 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 are the hanging things of substance abuse, homelessness, joblessness, et cetera, are they the problem? Or is it the system that puts people back into society? And 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 I'll and I'll and I'll ask because you never get back to clean. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. so if, if, if what we're talking about is I did a crime. You, you you convicted me, you send me away, mm -hmm. I should get back to clean. If it were a financial thing, mm -hmm. right? If, mm -hmm. if, if, you can, if you convict me financially or whatever, you sue me and I give you your money, right? I'm back to clean. Yes. My money, my money doesn't stink after that, exactly. right? Exactly. I can get exactly. another, I can get another deal. But but when I go to prison for a crime, I come out. And, and and I'll say this, I am responsible for million mm -hmm. dollars worth of, of grants, mm -hmm. property, people's lives, all that. But because in 1994, I was a fool and I, bro I broke into my own family's house, mm -hmm. I became a felon. Now I can't have a handgun. Right. Right. So y'all trust me with all that money and all them people's lives and all these buildings. Mm-hmm. But you don't trust me with a handgun? Right. Let me say this. You're wearing what I call the scarlet letter F on your forehead. You yes, asked me, can you come back to clean? Is it a system issue or is it the person's issue? It's both. First of all, and that's why we have NARP. We have businesses and we have politicians. Don't get me started. We have all parts of our society that are so unforgiving. Mm -hmm. One of the things I say, if we say as a society, somebody has served their time, whatever it is the crime was, once you've served your time, to me, that indicates you go back to clean. Go back to clean. In our society, you never go back to fully clean. You will for all forever have a scarlet letter F on your forehead. Some people are able to navigate it around it a little bit easier than others, but you you still have that on there. When I speak about the parts of the ba of the uh, mobile, like the baby's bed, I'm speaking about the individuals. We have to look at individuals and see which part of those parts are their lives and which parts need to be addressed because we're different. 
Everybody is unique and everybody's return should be individualized. You should allow me to be who I am, deal with the issues that I have, and certainly not make me go through somebody else's issues because you've seen it in three or four other people. Just because you've seen people lie all the time that come out of prisons and jails that you've met doesn't make me a liar because I went to prison. Just because right. people stole from you doesn't make me a thief. So look at who I am as an individual, provide me individualized case management or assistance, and then let's move forward from there. Because if I'm battling- Society, society at large don't want to see you as an individual. No, they don't. No. And that's why it's important that people who are popping up these reentry recovery programs, they have to. They have to. We have to be able to have some type of uh, regulatory look at these programs and people who are working in them because we have to have somewhere where they can come back to clean and have a fresh start. And that is what we oh, hope so to let's, do more of. Let's explore this about coming back to clean because when we talk about that, you said it yourself. There's politicians out there with the F on their forehead. There's movie stars with the F yes. on their forehead. There's, there's lawyers yes. with the F on their forehead. Mm -hmm. And yet they all get to do what they want to do. And yet your your bottom man, mm -hmm. you know, he gets it and it holds him back. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna step on my own tongue a little bit and I'm gonna say some of that is self-imposed. Okay, right. Some of that is, you know, some of that is self-imposed, right. right? That's if, right. If you say, oh, I'm a felon, so I can't do nothing, and you decide to sit on the corner, then what can we say? And do anything. That's right. You, right? That's right. But there are people who have taken that and, and, and used it as, as a, a opportunity to move forward. And, and I throw Jimmy McGill out there. Yes. Right? right? 16 convictions, and he ends up being the director of recovery for the state of uh, Arkansas. So, yeah. so it can happen. But as a as a reentry program, I think we always keep trying to bully the the community at large into recognizing these people's rights. But we don't take into account that what the community recognizes is money. And right. We're going to get a program that's going to put some money in these brothers' pockets. A lot of these brothers come out of jail with skills. They come out with ideas. They come yes. out with drive, and and they get sh it gets shut down in the first six months when they realize how hard it is to make a twenty dollar bill. Yes, I spoke with a gentleman today. He has a master's degree in ed early childhood education. He recently had a conviction, and the way he talked about himself. I thought he had a conviction in like murder or, or right. a child molestation or it was a domestic violence case with him and his ex-wife, right. but he has not been able to get a job in his field because of that. So to him, I said the same thing I would say to anybody else that has an issue, own it. You made a mistake. Go in there, own that. So when people look it up, they're not surprised. You know, we have to decide how we're going to live. Nobody can say anything about Jimmy McGill's 16th convictions. Guess why? Jimmy is talking about it. He's talking about it loud and proud and doing all the things that it takes to help others not be shame-based with all this stuff that goes on. Because right. until we can embrace, I did that. 
And now it's time for me to live my life, regardless of what you or anybody else thinks in society. I'm not going back today and I'm going to keep moving forward. And when we can teach that and when we can identify that, then that's when people will be able to get a second chance. Come on, let's be gotta, honest. You gotta, give, you gotta give the opportunity. Yes. And so let's don't let's don't lose sight that as much as Jimmy McGill did what Jimmy McGill did, Jimmy McGill did what Jimmy McGill did because somebody threw him the ball. He was right. He couldn't run if they didn't throw him the ball. That's exactly right. We as a community, you know, if a young brother comes out and he's been cutting hair in jail. And I don't know what they pay in prison for you to cut hair. I think it's, you know, a few pennies an hour or whatever. About 25 cents an hour, probably. Right. So <laughs> he comes out of, and they're like, here's the money you earned. And they give him a check for $38.50. You know what I'm saying? Why, why aren't we saying, we see that you learned a skill. Here's the, you know, here's $3,800. Go, go get you a barbershop started. Because, look, the money's not there because, as we just said, Laws, let me the state of Florida. If you have had any money on your books within the last six months of your incarceration, you walk out with nothing, really. Yes, or whatever's in your account, which may be nothing at that point. If you have not had it, you walk out with $50 and right. just you get out. That's it. When people get out, you haven't thought about bus fare. Where am I going to lay my head? Most people don't have somebody who's going to run and come get them or they wouldn't even be on those buses with that $50. Mm -hmm. So it's so much that comes with that. Because of that, we do a re-entry re simulation at our conferences so that everybody who has not touched the system, because we've got a lot of people working in this field, but they've never had any type of experience or anything. They go to school, they come out. Yes, they know. I, look, I've been to school, advanced degree, everything. But that's not the point. The point is you've got to know the population that you're dealing with and the barriers and challenges that face them. And education does not always teach that. We need to have people in the field understand. So a part of what we do is help educate people by having this reentry simulation each year with our conference. Because I've had people say that reentry simulation changed my life. It changed the way I think. I had no idea. And even myself, I went through it last year because I said, let me just go through it. And when I realized I didn't have a birth certificate, I didn't have an ID. And so I went to go get in the line to try to get an ID. I mean, to tell them that the line was so long. Now, I know I had an hour in the room to do this. Even I said, you know what? I'm not doing this. I got to go do something else. I don't have time. So in life, imagine how this must feel. So we've got to get people to understand more about, again, the barriers and the way. I, I don't. I don't have to. I don't have to imagine. This is what my staff deals with every day. We we yes. work with people in those exact situations. I had a woman who couldn't get her ID. She had a check at work. Now she had worked for these people, mm -hmm. and they had given her a check. And, the, and she couldn't cash it because she didn't have an ID. And she couldn't get an ID because uh, she didn't have a birth certificate. But the birth, she had a birth certificate, but it didn't match her married name. Oh, Lord. And she couldn't get her 
license from her marriage because that was 30 years ago in South Carolina. She couldn't remember what county it was in. So wow. we spent hundreds of dollars searching mm -hmm. the internet, trying to find, and we finally found where she had been married and were able to get a copy of this birth certificate. Mm -hmm. I spent hundreds of dollars for her to cash a $75 check. Wow. And, you know, the sad thing is re this whole reentry recovery situation starts from the inside out. And one thing I have to give to the state of Florida, their Department of Corrections has a what's called a flow bus that goes in and does IDs for individuals. So when they get out, they can have an ID. Does it always work? Well, no, but it does work a lot of the times. And when COVID happened, of course, then there was no flow bus. So there are an awful lot of people getting out still without IDs, but they have put forth effort and things in process. And I'm sure other states hopefully have done the same because the ID is the first key to you having any type of success when you get out of prisons or jails. And uh, we really try really hard in our organization to educate folks on these barriers, help people who are working in the field, educate people who've never worked in the field, educate family members, organizations, workforce development, all of that, because we recognize without first education, you're not gonna understand. The second thing we try to do is collaboration. Like you and I sitting here talking about these issues, organizations coming together. And at our conference, it is really, really nice because you have people from all over that's talking about issues and how they have solved working on some of the barriers. So, you know, those are two things that I think are a must that we must do. We got to continue that to be able to affect a change in the paradigm of the way we do things with reentry and recovery. It's It's got to happen. Again, my guest, Rosetta Taylor with the National Association of Reentry Re Professionals. So tell me about the organization. You know, what 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 is your programming? What what's your goals? What's your mission? And and you know, where where is it going? Okay, so we are very much invested in working with individuals returning from we're returning home from incarceration. Um why do we do that? Because we understand the barriers, we understand the scarlet letter F. And we know that, guess what? It's more than one type of person. For example, what they go through in New York City in terms of reentry is not what they go through in Alabama. What they go through in Hawaii or Alaska is not the same that they go through in California. So we have said, look, reentry comes in many different facets. Even people who have been locked up and later found to be innocent. Some of these people have been locked up for 10, 20, 30 years they still are re-entering society and they come with a whole nother set of issues. So our goal is to first educate folks, like I was just saying about re-entry. What is it? How is it impacted? What can we do individually to help deal with this issue? Without the education, and it sounds easy, oh, education. A lot of people think they know about re-entry, they do. But when you really sit down and look at it, they're like, wow, I had no clue. I know what I've been told. I know when my friend came home, he did this, this, or this, but they really don't understand the full scope of it. So that education piece is huge. The next thing, like I was talking about, is collaboration, where we actually invite individuals to come together, whether it is one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's at the conferences, through just different telephone conversations, 
we are a um, place where people come every day to say, I'm starting a reentry program, but I don't know kind of where to start. Or I'm a case manager. I just got a case management job in reentry. And I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure how I should do this. Or what is a case plan? The questions are sometimes really basic. So we want to make sure that we collaborate so everybody can have a better understanding. And finally, what we do as a national organization is we provide national awards each year, six awards. In January, we will open the doors for anybody to nominate any person, any group, any agency that they feel is doing an outstanding job with reentry so that when we go to the conference, we vet through those, or those uh, applications and we name six people um, the best of the best for the year. We don't often in this field pat ourselves on the back because we're too busy working. We give truly often from our hearts and sometimes even from our pocketbooks for individuals that are out there that need the help. And so we just want to take some time to say job well done. And we do it with a nice networking awards event each year, um, the first day of the conference. So aside from the conference, we are every day beating the streets helping organizations build their organizations, helping individuals learn more about case management, learn, helping family members understand what exactly reentry is, and hearing from adult children, hearing from employers, and understanding that there are a lot of opportunities that people don't even know about. So we are highlighting great programs and learning more where other areas can come together and replicate some of the greatness in the cities and states all over the country. So it's a big job and it is a most rewarding job. We're always on the move. We have a wonderful board that is willing to put in the work um, because when you start talking, this is what we wanna do. I don't know if you know Andrew Hager, but Andrew Hager is also on our board. He is uh, out of K Kentucky uh -huh. and he has a program called Blessed, um, I'm sorry, Blameless Children. Um, Andrew, this year, speaking at our conference too, he is um, really, he's sort of like uh, Jimmy in that he talks about his experiences. He talks about how he was, he brought his children to, to prison, basically to jail, uh, being in there with his son um, and just the whole impact. Uh, we have Sheila Bruno, wife after prison. And as Sheila would say, every, this situation with her husband coming out of prison her marrying him, it's relevant, it's raw, and it's real. And she talks about that because we understand if your significant other, your wife, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, whatever, is not doing well, y'all are struggling in that relationship, you're not going to be the best person you can be at work. You're not going to be the best person you can be, period. So that's a whole nother part. As let, me, well. let me tell you, let me tell you some, a story that is near and dear to me. One of my staff, um, young woman that has a beautiful life ahead of her, young, 34, I think. And her youngest child's father was in prison. Baby's three years old or so. And so over the summer, she was, you know, she told me, I'm looking forward to him getting out this summer. And I said, oh, you all going to get back together? She said, no, I really don't want to get back together with them. I just need the help. 
Right. I need, I need to be able to send the baby over there from time to time. Yes. So the guy gets out and I'm waiting. And it's been like, you know, three, four weeks. I haven't seen a real change in her. She hasn't. I said, well, what's going on? Well, you know, he's not really doing what he's supposed to do. It's not really yeah. going to be what it's going to be. Uh, a couple months later, she just flat out said, he, he, not the guy I thought he was, not who he told me he was going to be. Right. That was in June. Here we are towards December. He just got arrested, and he's looking at oh. doing another 11 years. Jeez. She's out. She's done. She, you know, she comes in crying. And I'm like, well, I thought you weren't involved with this man. I thought you weren't romantic. She said, I'm not. Mm. That means my daughter was. There goes her help. There goes my help. That's right. Chance of child support. That's, I was going to say, there goes the extra monies and everything. You know, so that's two people in jail. We haven't even counted the baby. That's two people in prison. That's right. That's exactly right. And that's why, you know, we say our mission in terms of NARP, it, it's simple and it's pretty clear. We try to build um, strong national network because of situations like this, where hopefully if that mother were to call and say, or go to you and say, hey, I just need some extra help. I need some extra money. We would be able to say, oh, well, here in Illinois, here in Ohio, here in Alabama are some resources that may very well be there for her. Because mm-hmm. it does happen, and it and it's so much shame that's kind of built around it that people don't want to talk about it, you know. So that's that's clearly one of the things that we want to do. Um, when we have experts in this field that are knowledgeable and they have understanding, then they can actually do more for the community. Changing mm-hmm. the paradigm of the way we do things is not going to be easy. Uh, we definitely have to have more of an opportunity to just deal with people openly and let them know this doesn't have to be shame-based. It's good you reached out for help. Here, let me turn you on to somebody who can help you. Because without that, here's a struggling mom who's frustrated. So children are frustrated. It's kind of like I tell people when I was a therapist, you know, families are really simple. Dad goes to work, he has a bad day. And this is really old fashioned. He comes home. And he takes that out on mom, right? Dad is now gone. So he takes it out on mom. Mom has a bad day. She's basically taking it out on the kids. Mm-hmm. The kids are torturing gerbils. You know, yes. so this is something that we can't say, hey, mom, you're dad, you're an alcoholic or a drug addict. Mom, you're codependent. And this is not helping our family. I think I'll go down the street and live with the Johnsons for a while. Right. It doesn't happen like that. So we owe it to our children. John Bradshaw back in the day taught me that. And having understood that, we should understand the same thing today. We need more programs. We need more openness. We need to remove the shame. You go to school. Your dad's back in prison. What do you do? You're going to school. It's a secret. I went in the school system and I asked the kids, how many of you here have parents that have been incarcerated. Nobody raised their hand. Of course. About an hour later into the conversation, I said, let's put our heads on the desk. And I just want you to put up one finger if you have a parent that's been in prison or is in prison now. Those little fingers went up like you wouldn't believe it. So it just goes to show the mom is frustrated he's gone back because she doesn't have the help. But the kids are going to be going through changes too because 
I don't care how much people say I'm in a great home or I'm with my mom and she's doing well. The fact is back here somewhere, my dad is locked up or my mom is locked up. And then, so now we talk about reentry and we were talking about people going into the same suit. You know, every guy comes home and he expects that as he steps off the bus or the car or whatever, the kids are going to start doing a little dance. Daddy's home. Daddy's home. Yes. Them kids are mad. Yes. And I've heard him tell them, look, don't tell me what to do because you were in prison. Right. I even wrote a book called A Letter Between an Incarcerated Father and His Young Son because I felt it was important to, and I can show you, but I felt it was important for that message to get out that these children, it's called the letter. These children, they, they go through things yeah. and it's written basically for the kids. I give it away to prisons and jails. Um, and I just think that we have to take a look at the holistic approach. Everything we've talked about today has gone from getting out, using, using drugs or alcohol recovery, um, coming home to families, employment, other barriers. So what we do at NARP is we take a holistic approach. We look at the whole person. And in doing so, we try to help in those as many different areas, turn you on to help in as many different areas as we possibly can. When we know that there are psychologists or psychiatrists or substance abuse programs or Whatever someone needs in those case plans, when they come home, we encourage those programs to then send them to the experts. Don't try to resolve issues in just one program, but send them where they can best get the help. Um, guardian at litems, attorneys, all kind of stuff. So you got you got the, the, the ear of my community. Who needs to join? Probation department? Oh, we absolutely need probation. You know, when people come home, most people are on probation. And I love probation when they work to really assist people in changing their lives because they have a foothold on their lives and they can be so positive. They can have such a positive impact. Probation officers, we need judges to be a part. Absolutely, okay. because they're making decisions about people's lives. We need employers of all types to be a part because you need to understand because somebody went to prison, doesn't mean they're not going to be a great employee. Right. We need family members to be a part because families are so horribly impacted by this whole reentry process. And of course, we need substance abuse and recovery personnel to be a part of this process because when people go to jail, they don't recover just because they've been in jail because they're coming out. And even if they think they have quote unquote recovered, I've never heard of anybody just being totally recovered. You could be in recovery. So they we, need to understand that. We just talked about it, Rosetta. Yeah. The whole time I'm in jail, my son is writing me letters saying, Dad, I can't wait for you to come home. And I'm feeling good. He's telling me I'm great. And that's easy to stay sober. But when I yes. get home and he tells me I'm worthless and he says that yes. he's embarrassed by me and he doesn't want me to take him to school because he doesn't want the people to ask where I've been. Say that. I go to the I go to the bar. And that's I can, and I drink because that's I can't right. take that. That's exactly I mean, right. This is what we're talking about. And that's why we have to talk realistically about these things before people come home. One right. of the videos I did years ago was the four phases of community reentry. And when I tell you, I promise you, if we don't start inside with a more realistic view of what's going to happen 
when you hit the streets, we're hurting people. The um, NBA, the NBA, when they draft those young boys, yes, they take them somewhere and they let one of these older guys come and say, "You about to get a whole lot of money, fool." This is how you deal with that. Yes, yes, right? exactly. And, exactly. and they, they tell them how to put on a condom. They tell them, you know, yes. don't go investing in your buddy's chicken shack. That's you know, right. They 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 take. I, I hear you saying we need to do the same thing for the, for the people coming yes. out of prison. So correction staff is absolutely another part that has got to be included in this. And um, I hate to keep touting on Florida Department of Corrections, but last year they sent 35 people, leaders, to the conference. And that speaks to where you really, what you really want to do. It's called the conference? the conference this year is April the 14th through the 17th. And it's in the Nashville, Tennessee area at the Franklin Cool Springs Hotel. And we we are so looking forward to it. We have between three and 500 people coming this year. And okay. so we're excited. So I don't have to be a member. I could just sign up and go. I mean, I'm already a member, NARP, but I... But right. Well, it's a world. little bit different. If you're a member, the price of the conference is $225. If you're a non-member, the price is $335. Okay. Um, but the good thing is this year, up until at least to the end of the year, the lifetime membership for NARP is $75. That will be changing in 2024 because of the amount of work that we're doing. Um, the membership will go to $250 a year. So $75 for a lifetime between now and the end of the year versus 225, I mean, 250 next year annually. Um, it, it makes a difference. Absolutely. Makes a difference. And we're doing a lot of things to move this profession forward. We really want people to understand that we are truly trying to help people save lives. And we can't do that by taking it lightly. And we can't do that by just saying, hey, here's a house, get a job. Now, you know, you're ready to go. Why can't you be successful? Because so many people have so many of those dangling parts that they need to deal with. And a part of what we do should be to help them understand each aspect of their life and how they can deal with it if they choose. And most importantly, Gerald, I hope the listeners understand that because one person fails does not mean that everybody who ever used drugs and alcohol and went to jail is going to fail. Do not let that be your story because too often employers say, oh, I gave them a chance. You gave one person a chance and that person really blew it. Please don't hold that against everybody. Yeah. I'm going I'm to let, let that sit there. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. I, I have so enjoyed since we met and, and uh, thank you for being a part of my story. And Thank uh, you for having me. I appreciate absolutely. it a lot. Absolutely. So that was my guest, Rosetta Taylor, uh, founder, CEO of National Association of Reentry Professionals. And as she said, they are welcoming uh, people from all avenues to join. Um, you can go to their website and it is the NARP, T-H-E-N-A-R-P dot O-R-G. Um, so thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. So everybody at home, I don't know how I can keep showing you, but there's people out there that want to help. No matter what your situation is, somebody wants to help. You just have to reach for it. You are not going to get better sitting there in your house by yourself. 
reach out, call me, call Rosetta, call your local police, call your church, knock on the guy down the hall door, go stand out in front of your house and yell at the traffic. Let somebody know you need help. And I guarantee you somebody will reach back. And if they don't, then you can reach for me. I'm at svvor.org or at 779-707-0151. We are here to help. Uh, so please reach out. Uh, I want to thank Slang Music Group for the music. I want to thank all my media partners for, for their efforts to get the word out. I want to thank my, my members of the Ross community. I want to thank my staff. This, this podcast is produced by me. Therefore, it is crummy. I'm doing my best. Leave me alone. Um, if you need help, reach out. Until next week, take care of yourself.